There is one caveat that I will make sure every single one of my clients know, something called appreciation recapture. Just like a 1031 exchange, you get to defer your capital gains so long that you keep replacing it with a new property. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. This is your host, Mike McManus for Surgeon Syndicate today. And we're here with Isaac Weinberger. Isaac is not your typical tax advisor. He's a visionary in the world of real estate, finance, and taxation. As a seasoned cost segregation expert advisor, Isaac made it his mission to help property owners reduce their tax liabilities while building meaningful connections within the real estate industry. Isaac, thank you for being here and welcome. Absolutely. It's an honor. I appreciate it, Mike. Well, tell us a little bit more about cost segregation. A lot of the audience is newer to real estate investing, so they may not have even ever heard of cost segregation. Absolutely. Obviously, I'm a big advocate for cost segregation. Cost segregation, I believe, is a tool that is at the fingertips of many real estate investors, and many people just don't understand it correctly. There's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misunderstandings, and I'm here today to try to shed some light on the real details and the actual accurate information on COSEG. So I guess I'll start with a bit of a background, Mike, okay? Yeah, yeah. So what's been around for many, many years is something called depreciation. Depreciation is a wondrous tool at our disposal because one of the big reasons why we're all in real estate is because properties appreciate, they go up in value. So, hey, how am I getting depreciation? Are you telling me my property is going down in value? And the answer is no. One of the big perks of real estate is that the government allows you to take depreciation on your asset, even though the market value generally is going up. And the reason why is just like when you buy a car and you leave the parking lot, it goes down in value. The government views that your property has a lifespan. Multifamily and residential has a 27 and a half year lifespan. Commercial property has a 39 year lifespan. And they view that your property is actually going down in value. Obviously not on the market, but in terms of it's older. So it's older, it's worth less. There's something called a depreciable basis. The depreciable basis on your property is going down. So depreciation will dictate that you will get back close to the entire purchase price aside for land over a period of 27 or 39 years. So say you buy a property for $1 million, a multifamily property. That has a lifespan of 27 and a half years. You will get approximately, give or take, $30,000 a year in regular standard straight line depreciation over a period of 27 and a half years. That depreciation can be used against either your active income or your regular income, against your active income or against passive income, depending if you're a real estate professional or not, which we'll get into soon. But the idea is you could use this against income certain types of income. Now, what cost segregation is, I like to make it pretty simple, is that it's depreciation on steroids. All what you're doing is just taking more of your depreciation earlier on. The example, I guess the parable that I like to give is that, say, Mike, I owe you a hundred bucks and I come to you and say, hey, there's two types of payment plans that we have in store for you. You could pick either one of them. Either you take $10 a year for 10 years or you take $30 in year one and then the remaining $70 over the following nine years. Most people are going to answer that I'd rather take more money up front because a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. 
I have more money in my pocket today. I could go buy goods and buy low, sell high and make some money off it. Same idea with cost egg. Yes, I will be getting those depreciation benefits anyways. But if I could take bigger amounts, larger amounts of that depreciation earlier on, I can put more capital in my pocket and the pocket of my partners and investors so they could go ahead and have more capital to go ahead and buy more real estate. That is the idea of cost segregation is depreciation on steroids. That's awesome. So I know, and I always hear this from doctors, that the first question they ask when you start talking about stuff like this, is that legal? Are we going to get in trouble for this? It's really funny. I get that all the time. And I say, hey, it's section 179 in the tax code. It's completely legal. I'll tell you something funny for a second. I'm not getting into politics right now. Trump, Biden, Republicans, Democrats. I'll tell you one thing. When Trump said a few years ago that he paid $750 a year in taxes, the world was very upset. Oh, you cheated the tax code. My question was, Trump, why did you even spend $750 on taxes? You should have spent zero because <laughs> he's doing 1031s. He's doing cost egg on all his properties. He's legally getting away with paying zero dollars in taxes. <laughs> he overpaid at $750. He overpaid. He overpaid. <laughs> So let's dive into a little deeper how the cost segregation works and what you're actually doing to be able to take more of that up front. Yes, that's a really great point. Many people ask me, hey, what's the process? Is it a magic trick? How do you do it? And the answer is like this. Every property, no matter which property you have, it could be a car wash, it could be a mobile home park, it could be a multifamily, it could be office space is divided into three different categories. I will take out car wash. Car wash is a separate category, but Everything else besides that is divided into three different categories. The structural components, which is the actual structure of the property that depreciates over a 27 and a half or 39 year period. Then there are land improvements, landscaping, parking lots that depreciates over 15 years. And then there's something called the five-year bucket, which is chandeliers, flooring, cabinetry that depreciates over five years. Carpet that depreciates over five years. Now, a regular accountant, not because he's not a good accountant, he could be great, but he's just not a cost that guy. He doesn't know how to segregate it properly. He might be able to guess, but he can't have a pinpointed amount because he didn't go into the property and actually dissect every single little component. So therefore what? Certain items in the property that technically can be taken over a five and 15 year period, the accountant, the traditional accountant is throwing it under the long-term depreciation bucket. So technically, there are items that you can be taken faster. A competent cost that company comes in and we identify all the components that could be taken over a five and 15 year bucket. Over the five and 15 year track, that's what we're looking to identify. And we'll get into the numbers soon, but the idea is that we're going to identify in a classic multifamily 20 to 30% of the purchase price. So you purchase it for a million bucks, 200 to $300,000 worth of components, I guess, in the property that could be on the five and 15 year track. Therefore, that will be allowed to take earlier on. Now you might ask, very nice, we're identifying it and putting it on the five and 15 year bucket, but how do you take that in year one? And the answer to that is that in September of 2017, the government instituted bonus depreciation, which is section 179, which it's really like, I call it an activation. By us identifying five and 15 year components, the second we identify it as 5 and 15, it can automatically, it activates bonus depreciation, which allows for most of it or everything prior to 2023 to be taken on year one. 
That's what we'll be phasing out. We'll get to it shortly, I'm assuming. But the idea is the two-step verification process, I'll call it. First, we got to identify the 5 and 15 year. Once we identify and we label it 5 and 15 year, that allows to take a big chunk, or if not the whole thing, on year one. And so you talk about the cost segregation company, because I actually saw this in a forum recently. Somebody was like, I just learned about cost segregation. Is this something I can do myself? What's the risk of doing it yourself? Yes. So great, great question. And I get this all the time. Hey, why can I just guesstimate and be a drop more conservative and I won't raise any red flags? And the answer I always give to people is that you could, you can do it yourself, but you're opening up yourself to issues. For one big reason is if you ever get audited, you have no way of showing the IRS how you got to your numbers. They want to see, hey, where did you get 20% of the purchase price as accelerated components? We back it up and we show, hey, 10,000 was taken for carpet and 3,600 was taken for cabinetry and 1,297.50 was taken for this. So you have no way to back it up and they won't be happy with you not having some sort of backup to what you did. What are the ramifications? I'm not sure, but they won't be happy. Now, another big thing that I want to talk about within the same question is what people make a huge, huge mistake. And this actually is relevant to people that use algorithm-based cost at companies online. They pay $500 for a study. They run into the same issues. An engineered study, which is done by a lot of competent cost ed firms, Madison Specs is one of them. There's a lot of other great companies out there, but there's two types of studies. There's an engineered study and there is an algorithm-based study. Hey, we usually get this and this amount on this and this type of property. They're going to leave more meat on the bone. We will scrape every single last bit until we get to the bone. So even if you're going to save yourself a few thousand dollars by not hiring the more expensive company, you could have got an additional 50, 60, 70, 80, $90,000 worth of a depreciation that would have resulted in an extra 20, $30,000 in your pocket by paying the extra couple thousand dollars. People make that big, big mistake. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. They're pinching pennies and giving up dollars in the process. So the difference would be, I have a cost seg done by Madison Spec, and now I get audited. And it's not because of the cost seg, but because I was the random guy in the bucket. When the IRS looks at this and now there's a cost seg and they just see it comes from a respected cost seg company, do they even dig into it at that point? Or they just kind of go, okay, that's good. Because they're people like they've got paid by the hour. They want to get this done and move along. I'll tell you a couple of very, very important points. One of the big reasons why people are hiring cost companies is because of the auto protection, like I mentioned earlier. Madison has done 33,000 studies to date and counting. We've been audited three times in the past 17 years, no revisions ever having to be made. And again, I will give a shout out to a lot of other great cost companies. There's KPKG, there's Core, there's ETS, there's CSSI. These are great engineering-based cost firms. And they also provide great stuff, great reports. So when you go with a company like ours or one of these companies, you will be in good hands because like you said, not only, yes, they will look through it, but we have a good relationship. We actually contacted the IRS during COVID. We asked them about physical tours versus virtual tours. We couldn't get on flights. They know we do respectable work and they know that we'll push the envelope as much as possible, but only until the legal point. There are companies out there, and again, I'm not trying to bash, that will push the envelope so much that actually will trigger audits. And what the clients don't realize is that very nice, the company's saying they'll back it up, which I don't know how they're doing. But once the IRS comes in, they don't just look at the cost study. They look at everything else. 
You don't want the IRS snooping around on everything you did in the past seven years. So it's important to get a cost seg report that doesn't trigger an IRS audit, that if it does ever get audited, the cost that company will fight for you, which that's included in our report and other companies will fight for you and we'll back everything up and we'll take complete liability. We'll take responsibility for it. So it's very important, I believe, cost seg to do it right. I don't think it's worth it to cheap out on a cost seg. And so this isn't a loophole. This is really a strong part of the legal tax code and something that pretty much anybody who is a higher level real estate investor owner is doing. Exactly. I would say a good three out of four of every single owner is anybody purchasing properties, $2 million and above, they're all doing cost seg. Okay. And that's for the people who are still going, mm, is this legal? Should I do this? legal as it comes. CPAs are one of our biggest referral resources. And we both know that CPAs are generally more conservative and they're very into it. Awesome. So when looking at doing one of these, well, ask this is the question. So if I knew a guy, what point do you do a cost seg is on a smaller property, a bigger property? Is there a dollar value where the expense is, you're not going to save enough to make it worthwhile? That's a great, great question. So this is something I talk to many people about. Obviously, there has to be enough meat on the bone to warrant the price that you're going to pay for the study. The write-off that you're going to get has to warrant the price you're going to pay. I generally tell people that $300,000 of a purchase and above is worth it to look at the numbers. Now, there are many times a $300,000 purchase, it just won't make sense, especially if it's like a city-style single family when there's not so many uh, land improvements, you don't get as much. Or if you buy a $300,000 warehouse, warehouses don't get too much. But I've done a nice amount of three, $400,000 properties. Generally, I say three and above. But obviously, once you hit more than 500, 600,000, it almost becomes a no brainer. The clients that I work with range from $300,000 Airbnb guys, a couple hundred million dollar multifamily portfolios. And yeah, it's everybody could benefit in their own way. I could have on the same day, I could sign a guy that's getting a $50,000 deduction. Then I could sign a guy that's getting a $4 million deduction. So it varies. Yeah. Okay. So what about timing of it? If somebody's learning about this for the first time and say they bought a fourplex four years ago for $650,000 and they're looking at selling it in the next year, is it worth going back and still doing a cost segregation? That's a great question. That's a really loaded question. The loaded question, because there's really two components to your question. First of all, somebody only finds out about it now. Can he do anything with the properties he purchased prior to then that he already started taking straight line depreciation on? Also, if you're going to sell a property, how does that work? There's something called depreciation recapture, which every single person has to know. People ask me all the time, hey, Isaac, everything good in life has a bad twist to it sometimes. What is the downside of cost egg? And I try to tell them, hey, cost egg is the exception. I'm just kidding. Cost seg, there is one caveat that I will make sure every single one of my clients know, something called depreciation recapture. Just like a 1031 exchange, you get to defer your capital gains so long that you keep replacing it with a new property. But let's say you do a 1031 and then you sell the 1031 property and you don't replace it with a new property. Those capital gains will come back to you. Same idea with cost seg. The idea of cost seg is it's a tax deferral strategy. What you're doing is your tax liability of $100,000 in 2023, you're deferring it down the line. But if you sell the property, the IRS says, hey, you really don't deserve that tax deduction because you don't own it anymore. So that same exact tax liability, you'll have to come, it will come back to you and you'll have to pay. Now there's two ways to look at it. Maybe it's still worth it. 
the world looks at it through two lenses, either through time value money. So I'd pay a few thousand dollars and have a tax deferral for three years. If you would come to me today and say, hey, Isaac, you're paying X amount to the IRS, pay me five grand and you'll legally not have to pay your taxes till 2026 and three years from now. I'll be like, heck yeah, of course. I could do a lot with that money that I'm paying the IRS. So either time value money. Also, if you 1031 the property when you sell it, just like you could defer your capital gains, so too you could defer your cost egg. So you will not have to pay back depreciation recapture. Those are the two answers to selling it. Now, in regards to, let's say you have a guy, he bought 10 properties in the past five years. This happens to me all the time. And he never knew about Cossack. His accountant never told him, his partners never told him, his investors never asked him for it. Can he go back on properties that he purchased prior to them? The answer is yes. A guy buys a property in 2019, okay? He's taking straight line depreciation for a couple of years already. In 2023, what we could do is, we could do a Cossack on the property, retroactively get him huge amounts, massive depreciation losses, use those depreciation losses against the current tax year, or he can amend previous tax returns and get a check back from the IRS. To go back to the old years. Exactly. All right. So it's never, I guess there's probably at some point, is it ever too late to go back? Is there any timeline that it's been too long? So it's a great question. Either if the assets depreciated down to zero, so you already took so much straight line depreciation, so there's no depreciation left, then obviously not. But also the rule of thumb that I generally tell guys is that bonus depreciation was introduced in 2017, September of 2017. So if you bought it prior to September 2017, there's not going to be bonus. The benefits are not so much, especially in a smaller purchase, it wouldn't make sense to go back. But if somebody bought a $500,000 property or above after September 2017, definitely worth a shot. Definitely worth to look at it. Doesn't hurt. But the only time that it's really not worth looking at is if you've owned it for 30 years and it's been fully depreciated. Exactly. Because then the timing of the depreciation doesn't matter anymore. It's already exactly. been fully depreciated. Exactly. Exactly. If you sell a building after it's been fully depreciated, so you own it for 30 years, does the IRS still do depreciation recapture at that point? It's a great question. So it was a misunderstanding in terms of a lot of guys, a lot of owners, a lot of cost side guys. And your question is a loaded question because your question is, hey, lived out the life of this property. So it's over and it's complex and it's not a straight black and white answer, but there will be depreciation recapture, but there are ways and I'll be completely honest, I haven't dealt with the situation yet and I'm not a thousand percent clear and it's something that I do want to look up, but I will tell you that there is depreciation recapture, but it could be there are some ways to figure it out. Okay. And that's an interesting one now because I'm starting to see some retail and industrial properties come on the market that have been owned by somebody for 30 years or more. They built it in 1990 or 1980 and they've been renting it out ever since. And it's been a nice income stream and either they pass and the family is selling it or they just decide at 85 years old, they don't want to deal with it anymore. And a lot of the time that you start looking at where interest rates are now, some creative financing with the owner. And that's a question that just came up that I was like, wow, I have no idea how that goes. So that would be something to find a good real estate attorney. Would that be the absolutely, real estate absolutely. specific accountant to dig into? Yes. Some savvy accountants, some savvy attorneys, they'll be able to help. Absolutely. All right. So to change direction here a little bit, I'm looking through your bio here and there's some really good stuff. So some of the other stuff you do to assist your clients about finding equity, off-market deals, finding partnerships. Tell me more about that's a nice value add to working with you. Absolutely. So 
when I came into the industry, obviously, there's many, many, many people doing similar things. So let's say debt brokers, there's 10 debt brokers for every owner. There's a couple cost that guys for every owner. How do I separate myself from the path? God bless me. One thing I could talk about myself, God bless me with a good memory and the ability to network, the ability to connect with people. And I decided that if I spend time trying to add value to my clients, that will pay back dividends in the millions. Because if I could separate myself from the pack and help out my guys, obviously they're not going to run anywhere else because they're like, hey, Isaac took care of me, right? So there's a lot of guys out there that will say, hey, I'll help you with this. I'll help you with that. And some of them do. But some of them are just saying it just to be able to get over the hump and be like, hey, uh, talk to me. A couple of my accomplishments in the past, just in the past year, has been hundreds of thousands of dollars raised for clients of mine from LPs that I know. I haven't charged them anything. The LPs are appreciative. The GPs, my clients are very appreciative. And they've referred other guys to me because they've been so appreciative. I have a guy that bought a nice multifamily deal in Baltimore recently, like a $10 million deal. I set up the partners. Uh, they didn't know each other. I thought they would be a great fit for each other. They partnered together and bought the deal together. Introduce people to uh, introduce co-GPs to GPs. So that's what I try to do. People connect, provide value. And obviously, again, by doing that, I get a lot of people on my good side. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that if, I guess if I think about it, that most of us are out there investing in real estate are more working on a deal and we're always networking. But basically what you do all day is the number of investors you know is much larger than most of us because you're meeting people all day and you start seeing what different people are trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish, unique view on the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely right. a tremendous opportunity. So while we're talking about networking, tell me a little bit about Tuesday Connections. Yes. So Tuesday Connections is a virtual real estate meetup that I started around a year ago, a year and a half ago. I bring in a speaker, have a bunch of guys that come on and again, just try to provide value. These newbies, some people are not even newbies and they're just gaining information and gaining ideas from people that have been there, done that, purchased tens of properties, dealt with dealing in the market of today and just trying to connect people as well through these meetups. So you have this like a Zoom call like we're doing yes. here or yes. uh, is it something for just for clients of yours or if somebody else wanted to join in and just sit in and listen? Open for everybody. Open for everybody. Well, where could we get a hold of you or figure out how to sit in and listen to this? Sure. So connect with me on LinkedIn, DM me. I could send you some info afterwards as well. You can send out to guys, but absolutely. I'd be more than happy to have uh, as many people as possible. And for anybody listening who's newer to these things, I've heard people say, because we were trying to start a little retail industrial meetup here in Green Bay. And we'd invite people who'd shown interest in commercial real estate. And they'd say things like, well, I don't know if I know enough. I'm like, no, no, that's the point. <laughs> that's the exact point. That's the exact point. You got it. Because Isaac, through a mastermind that I'm in, that when I, luckily, because some people vouched for me, I was not at the level of the group. And I spent the first six months, man, I showed up every week and I listened. And there were times that I was just like, I have no idea what's going on. And your mind's building this spider web of neuron connections where all of a sudden, or over time, you've heard things and you're like, wait, I've heard that before I get that. And the amount of learning is incredible that goes on from just being there and listening. Exactly. 
100%. So a lot of our listeners are healthcare professionals, a lot of doctors, and that's the name. To doctors listening to this who maybe are looking at venturing into commercial real estate but haven't done it yet, any pearls of wisdom? Absolutely. So first and foremost, doctors get hit with really high taxes. And we all know that. Doctors, dentists, surgeons, they get hit the hardest, one of the hardest. And my classic example that I always, always give to people is that I have a couple, a couple client that I'm friends with both of them. He's a real estate professional. She's a doctor. She makes a lot, a lot of money. She was paying a lot of taxes up until a few years ago. He started doing COSAC. He's a real estate professional, offset his wife's income. So there's ways around those hefty taxes. And in terms of just in general investing, obviously get your feet wet by investing as an LP, speak to your GP, to the sponsor about the deal, get understand an OM, how to read an OM. Not that you have to become the king acquisitions guy, but the idea is just to understand the basics. And then if you have an opportunity, for example, I have a dentist right now that he's a full-time dentist, but he's flying down to Tampa, actually, I think in a week or two, and he's looking at a property and he's going to get a third-party manager. There's ways to offset taxes, real estate, obviously, and diversify. There's definitely worth it to get your feet wet and do some stuff if you have the time. There should be a meetup for aspiring real estate investors and medical and dental students. I totally agree. <laughs> it's a great match. By the time I learned about the real estate professional status, my wife has enough going on that she wasn't really interested. And I'm like, man, looking back, if one spouse is home and decide to stay home with the kids and you mix it in with some active real estate investing, that you can take that all this depreciation and then put it against active income where everybody else just can only use it against their passive income or their longer term capital gains. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm looking at our time here and I guess we're heading towards the end of the show. I know you got some things to do and I so appreciate you being here. We went through a few phases of trying to get you on the show and we finally made it happen. So Isaac, thank you for being here. For everybody out there, if you want to get a hold of Isaac, what's the best way to reach out and find out about Cossack? LinkedIn, connect with me, Cossack Isaac on LinkedIn, Isaac Weinberger. I will accept your connection request. Let's talk. We'll take it offline, hop on a Zoom call, and let's do some business. All right. And then also, that's the way to get a hold of you if somebody just wants to get in on the Tuesday networking. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for being here. Thank you, everybody who's listening. I hope this episode has provided some value, and we'll see you next time on Surgeon Syndicate. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, no other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better, so I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.